Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, my dear friends, to Navigate with I.D. Enang. It's such an honor and privilege to be here. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Business School on Radio. And um, if this is your first time of tuning in, I bet you you've missed so much all the while. But hey, there's always a first time. Here we tend to get ourselves very educated, informed, and also going through some practical learnings on how to make the best of our businesses, get enlightened, and at the best moments of our time, we can be very, very productive always and impact society, impact our families, impact ourselves. And guess what? You just make the world a better place to live in. Uh, the last um, episode, I hope you had a great time uh, with my colleagues. But for us, we had a more intense uh, conversation around loans that led us also to look at insurance. And uh, Overarching piece is about value creation. I bet you a lot of you didn't understand that when you look at a form of value, that loan or loans can be a form of value. That we discussed um, in tandem with the fact that insurance also is a form of value. As a matter of fact, one of my very close friends and, um, and sister said to me, it sounded as if you were given a brief by the banks and the insurance companies you know, to really sell the entire piece to us. But I said, no, um, my duty is to educate. My duty is to bring people to a point of understanding. And um, in doing that, um, I keep that on the, on the threshold and the front burner. So friends, if you're just joining, I bid you welcome. That's the intro. And for you that have been regular listeners, welcome to your business school on radio. As you know, we've been looking at the subject of value creation and the different forms of value. We've exercised so many things out of our minds and in the place of that, gotten new learnings around forms of value. Today, I'm going to take a slightly different slant um, within the same caption areas, but uh, looking at words and forms of value, you and I typically would not con you know, look at as real. One form of value that I'd like to bring to the table is the word option. An option is a form of value. Do you believe that? Yes, it is. I'll tell you and I'll let you know in a short while. An option is the ability to take a predefined action for a fixed period of time in exchange for a fee. Most people think of options as financial securities but they are all around us. Movie or concert tickets, coupons, retainers, licensing rights are all examples of options. Do you know that? Now, in exchange for a fee, the purchaser has the right to take some specific action. And that is attend the show, purchase an asset, or buy financial security at a particular price before the deadline. So in order to provide value via options, you must, number one, identify some action people might want to take in the future 
So you are sitting right now and taking a peep into the future. You can actually um, presume and get yourself into a space where you speculate what you know people might want to take in the future. Number two, you can offer potential buyers the right to take that action before a specified deadline. Listen, friends, think about the world of um, Apple and when they want to launch a product. Or even take a typical product launch. What do the organizers or the companies or the brand owners do? They tend to posit some form of deadline and they give you a sense that by so-so time, this is going to run out. And what then happens? They would offer you the right to take that action before the deadline runs out. But what then happens to you? You start you know, looking at it and saying, wow, I need to be there. Think about a new movie. Think about a concert. They'll give you a date, 26th of June, and then the promo starts. Now you will have to book before that time. But then you ask yourself, what am I really doing? I tell you, you're in the process of taking calls within options. The third thing you need to do in order to provide value via options, you must convince potential buyers that the option is worth the asking price. So if you we well, you have an item you need to put on the table, you have a suggestion, you have an idea you're selling, people must understand that you know it is worth the asking price. That's why you find homeowners or the guys in real estate these days, they tend to tease. They tease by either having you drive through a bridge and they're giving you some slap banners that just linger to tell you one million naira um, as a drop amount or to tell you pay a downright payment um, 50 times. All of that were things that are promotionals, but they're in a way throwing a form of value at you so you can take a decision. Options are valuable because they allow the purchaser the ability to take a specific action without requiring them to take that action. For example, if you buy a movie ticket or you purchase a movie ticket, you have the ability to occupy a seat in the theater, right? But you don't have to if a better opportunity presents itself. When you purchase a ticket, all you are purchasing is the right to exercise the option to see the movie at the time specified and absolutely nothing more. So what I always say to my mentees and friends is you can always buy time. Time is a resource. So if someone or a boss comes to you and says to you, I want you, ID, to do this now, you can buy time. Give him or her an option. They'll buy it. But you need to identify what that person would take, and you need to know how to present it by giving that person a specified deadline or lifeline, whichever one you like. So that's exactly what options are. I mean, just like buying um, a ticket to watch a football match. Um, certainly, when you buy that ticket, you're probably just buying that seat at that time. When that match, if you don't attend the match or if you don't go for that match, Something else can present itself that will pull you away from it. That in itself will depend on the benefit therefrom. So options are often used to keep 
specific courses of action open for a certain period of time before another transaction takes place. So you'll understand that even when you have to move, so those of us that are thinking of um, transshipping ourselves to other countries because you don't think Nigeria is still a good place. I have no other place to go, friends. I'm here. So I'm not thinking or considering an option. But, so for example, if you're thinking of moving over to Canada from Lagos, you know, you need to put down some deposit for an apartment. And um, what that means, something has to give. Now, the deposit ensures that whoever the umhuna or the landlord wouldn't rent the apartment to someone else before you move in. But once you sign the official rental agreement, that deposit becomes a standard rental security deposit. Now, if you then decide not to move forward with the idea, the landlord would have kept the deposit in compensation for holding the apartment for you and would have been free to find another tenant. Now that you've done that, the option was beneficial for both of you or it could get very dicey. That is, you decide, I am no longer taking this house. In some cases, you either forfeit part or all or none at all, depending on the agreement put in place. So options are often an overlooked form of value. And that's why it is important that you find a way to give people more flexibility and you may discover a very viable transactional or business model for yourself. What I'm saying in essence, friends, is that you may not have seen it or understood it, but an option is a form of value. So whatever you're doing, think about how best you can throw out some options to give people an opportunity you know, um, to look through a series of opportunities that you're presenting and then present a specified deadline. And trust me, those potential users, buyers, um, they will take action before that deadline because they don't want to miss out. The problem or the challenge is, do you have what it takes to convince them? Having looked at option as a form of value, let me go into the one I talked about um, last week, Tuesday, I did say to you that we're going to look at capital. And capital here is defined by Alfred Marshall. You know, I studied economics. Alfred Marshall determines or defined capital as that part of wealth which is devoted to obtaining further wealth. If you read um, or studied economics at different levels, you'll understand who Alfred Marshall is Economist and he wrote um, a couple of books on the principles of economics. So let me come within this umbrella to speak to you about value creation within the ambits of the big word called capital. Capital is the purchase of an ownership stake in a business. It is actually the purchase of an ownership stake in a business. Now, for parties that have resources to allocate, providing capital is a way to help owners of new or existing businesses expand or enter new markets. So if you are a small, medium or entrepreneur, one of the things that you'll be looking at is how best can I enhance the scope of my business? 
in enhancing the scope of your business, you need to do some form of capitalization. Even within the security and exchange market and then the parties at play, you'll find that capitalization is very key. So if you look at capital as a major resource, it's important for you to understand how you want to play. So for example, we talk about angel investing. We talk about venture capitalists. We talk about purchasing stock in publicly traded companies. All of these are examples of providing value via capital. And it's also important for you to know that you don't have to go to the stock exchange. You don't have to look for an angel investor. You could just have your friend or partner invest in your business. But that means that you guys must be so tight, tight enough that you must sign the woolly lines. I am not a party to what you're going to do as a big form of business um, where there is some investment of capital and you say you're doing it on a paddy paddy basis. No, you guys need to sign the dotted lines simply because posterity will require that you do the right thing. What if one of you or some do not make it or a few pass on? What then happens? Um, there can't be continuity or some others will have to lose out on it. So it's important that we always um, keep this at the back of our minds for sustainability. Nobody is saying to you that um, your friend doesn't like you. Now, if it's just a small uh, back of the hand, um, uh, oh boy, give me 100K there or invest 100K in my business. Um, I want to expand and I'll be giving you like 10,000 every month. That's an investment that person does by injecting capital. And you have, by return, um, decided that you're going to be paying him some form of earnings or returns every month. That's something you can do on a party party basis. You know that subject to anything happening, your risk is just around 100,000. Can you forego 100,000? Yes. I'm just saying to you that it's a form of value, but it can be cast in different forms. It can be cast in in the way you, and you, you, know, you look at it within the context of the hierarchy of funding. And I think I treated this um, many weeks ago when I talked about the, the hierarchy of funding. So in order to provide value via capital, you must, number one, have a pool of resources available to invest. So if you currently have a pool of um, resources with you and you want to invest it, um, then you'll be setting yourself into providing capital and that's a form of value. Number two, you need to find a promising business in which you'd be willing to invest. So if you run a business today and um, you just find out that your business is slow, um, one thing I can tell you, with the challenges that we are facing right now, with all manner of stuff, security, power, education, health, name it it isn't the best time for a lot of people to you know, look at supernormal profits or look at profiteering over profiteering. It's a time for sober reflection for businesses because costs, the costs are just going through the roof. So one way you can help you if your business has been able to put away some capital and you don't want your money sitting in the bank 
and generating single-digit interest rates um, that if, you know, you choose to just do something differently, you can actually take some of your money and become some sort of angel investor. That is, you take out of this money, look at this particular opportunity, and then go in there and invest. And the returns will be better than even when you're running your own business and injecting that capital, and the returns may not be as good as that. So having a pool of resources available to invest is a good one. Then finding a promising business in which you'd be willing to invest is the second priority. Now, the third thing you need to do is to estimate how much that business is currently worth, how much it may be worth in the future, and the probability that the business will go under. See, don't ever assume that any business will be there for life. No. Somewhere along the line, something happens. But you must be in a position to say, hmm, I kind of sense that this and this and this. They're called leading and lagging indicators. So what are these leading and lagging indicators? I'll give you a simple signpost. Look at your dashboard, the dashboard of your car. The dashboard of your car presents several types of information that are leading and some can turn to lagging. So for example, indicators. When you look at your speedometer, it tells you how much you're firing. It tells you how much you're traveling, your speed. At the same time, within that whole space, you can have something that tells you whether your engine is having some overheating or not. So when you look at the temperature gauge and it moves from C or mid-C down to H, then you know you have a problem. It's currently overheating. Those are indicators that tell you the state of the engine and that tells you whether to continue the journey with that car or to pull aside. That's the same kind of way you have to approach business if you are going into capitalization. You must have a dashboard, a dashboard that gives you a good insight as to what is and what isn't. Now, you can never tell if a business is going to go under. But you can have a sense when you look at some of the financial reports, the balance sheet will tell you where it is. And if you're not an expert, get an expert to look at it. You can look through the financial reports. You can also look through the stakeholder, the ecosystem. You can do some basic research on that particular business or the industry. Find out from end users, find out from stakeholders, look through the value chain and understand whether that particular entity still does have some equity or that entity has lost its servo. On the basis of all of this, you can now move in and negotiate the amount of ownership you would receive in exchange for the capital you are injecting into that business. So don't just jump in and someone comes to you and says, come and invest one million in my business. No. Now, one million may not sound like a lot of money, but it is a lot of money. You're about to put your art and resources into some other person's venture with a view to getting some returns, except, of course, you are doing it for free. That is, pro bono, you are a philanthropist, you just want to be noted for doling out cash, then nobody's going to stop you. But friends, 
if you want to see some form of value by the process of capitalization, then you need to do the right thing and not just you know, walk away from it. So businesses benefit from capital injection because it enables them to gather the resources necessary to expand or enter new frontiers, industries, or sectors. Now, some sectors or industries like manufacturing and financial services require huge amounts of funding, either to start or to expand. But when they take on investors, business owners can secure enough funding to move forward quickly. So if you are a small-scale business owner and you need to scale up, the only way you can mostly do this is to inject some funds. And injecting these funds will require you to look for people either as angel investors or venture capitalists. Now, nothing goes for nothing. They're going to take your business they're going to ask you for your financial report. They're going to look at due diligence and they're going to tear it apart. Most cases, they are going to come in with a mindset of, we have to stay in this business. We see some light in the end of the tunnel. We'll be here for only four years. And after four years, we'll sell our stake and we move on. But if they see that the business is taking on a good turn, some of them smell. They smell the coffee very well. And when they smell the coffee, they could give you an offer you, would, you can't refuse. And like the Godfather will always say, they'll come back for you. What they will do is try to take ownership of your business. You need to make up your mind. Are you ready to hand over your business to the venture capitalists or even the supposed angel investor? Because they're not going to tell you that their end goal is to own majority share. They'll come in as very nice than the um, personals, but because of the amount they are injecting, there are certain roles they will request for. Number one, they'll tell you they want the finance, the CFO, the chief financial officer position will be handled by them, subject to how much they've injected. In some other cases, they'll tell you, oh, Aman is going to run as managing director, but that is neither here nor there, but the financial services position is the first place. Why? Because they're going to actually manage and see what's coming in and what's going out. At the end, they can take a cue and say, this is what we want to do. So I'm letting you see that capital is a huge form of value. Investors benefit by acquiring a certain percentage of that company's ownership. And that's what allows them to benefit from their business's activities without active involvement. Now, instead of leaving their money in the bank, that's what I was telling you, or a bank account, investors can allocate it to companies that are involved in promising ventures. So even you seated right now, listening to me, you may have some, some funds that you think are not so great, but half a million naira is something that can help someone start up some little business that this person is doing. It could even be someone that is frying Akara, you know, um, and then doling it out at bus stops. And then you can see that, come on, by six o'clock, this woman is there. And by eight o'clock, the Akara is finished. Now, think about it. If that same woman were to get 
some additional funds? Would she close at eight or would she expand to other bus stops and then go over to the local government and pay some form of surcharge or rental for the hours six to eight and employ people? That's how employment is generated, simply because someone injected something into it. So that injection of cash flow, that little, to your point, 500,000 naira to somebody could be a lifeline that would make a big bang. That's the same way investors come in to take a certain chunk or percentage of your company ownership. You've just done this with the Akara woman. Um, though in that case, you know, it's not something you guys are not going to sign any uh, books or whatever. But what would happen is you would come to some agreement of sorts. It's the same thinking. So if the business brings in a lot of cash, investors may benefit from a regular dividend. So every time you sit back and invest in something small at the small local level, you can benefit by way of some regular dividend. If it's acquired by another company or going to the big um, public stock exchange, that's a different ballgame mentality. I mean, that's for really mature grown businesses. Then investors may receive a percentage of the purchase price as a lump sum payment or better still, they sell their shares. You know, so friends, I hope that you looked at this um, differently. You've seen capital as a different item. We're talking about value creation. I want you to understand that you cannot take any of the things you're doing for granted. But as we come back on the second half, we'll move into looking at perceived value and how that can be enhanced. Don't go away. It's your business school on radio. We're just taking a quick pause to pay some bills. We'll be right back. This is Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome back, my dear friends. It's Navigate with ID and Ang. Such an honor and privilege to be here. As always, I'm grateful to God for the gift of life and also grateful to God for your life too. A privilege for us to be alive and we will not take that for granted. And just in case you're just tuned into this beautiful station, welcome. Uh, this is a business school on radio and we try to look at how to enhance the quality of our education, knowledge of business and um, getting into the real nitty gritty. Um, sometimes we get into the trenches of pulling out certain concepts and seeing how we can bring them to life. And the, during the first half of the program, we had talked about capital. And as you know, that capital is a form of value that many take for granted and do not even understand how this can feature in their business world or within the context of their ecosystem. And that's, we spent some good quality time to go through it. I'm going to step into um, a different terrain as I look at the, the concept of perceived value. Perceived value. You know, I, each time I get to speak or have the privilege to share my thoughts in different ways, um, I always tell people that value um, is a function of price and equity. Uh, just yesterday, I was one of my um, very good clients and we were talking about, uh, you know, they were trying to put together um, 
a marketing strategy and a marketing plan within the business context. And, you know, it was an exciting time for me because it took me way back uh, into my days as a young brand manager um, and as a marketer. And one thing I kept hammering on was perceived value. That, you know, that someone looks at your bottle, whatever you're selling, whether as an individual, someone looks at you, that person expects certain things. By the time you utter a word, he or she would know whether there's value in my relating with this person or this is going to be a waste of my time. That's exactly what happens when you look at a product on the shelf. A product sits on the shelf and it has some very beautiful packaging or the ambience around where it is. Maybe it's in the store where they've done some promotionals, the graphics or the, some presentation. It kind of draws you to that product. You haven't tasted it. You haven't you know, had the privilege of getting to know what uh, the content will present. But you've probably heard either by some form of communication about this same product, there's something called the perceived value. So people don't trade money for things when they value their money more highly than they value their things. Nobody does that. Nobody carries his or her money or takes his or her time into something that they don't value. There has to be a value. And that's tied to the first concept I talked about, about options. People don't just throw stuff. So as I step into this terrain of perceived value, I want you to understand that even as you're listening to me, there's a perceived value in you tuning in to Navigate with ID every Tuesday and every Thursday at 3 to 4 p.m. or on other stations that we are currently running. There's a perceived value. That's why you can take that time out to make it happen. So all forms of value are not created equal. Value is in the eye of the beholder, just like beauty, as we do say. Perceived value determines how much your customers will be willing to pay for what you are offering. See, if you are an employee and you're going for an interview in another company, many people dress the part. But by the time they look at you and the way you are dressed, that in itself will open the door. But trust me, by the time you open your mouth and by the time you're able to speak to the matters arising, there'll be a perceived value as to how much this guy is worth. So when they ask you, how much do you think um, you know, you'd like to be paid? Some foolishly say, um, well, anything, that's foolish. You must have a value, a perceived value of yourself. Yes, you know that currently you are in some job, maybe you are being paid 10,000 naira per hour, and then you step into a place where just looking at their faces, you just had a chart, and they said to you, how much do you think you should be paid or we, we should pay you, Mr. Aina? I'll look at them right in their faces, and if I've stung them like a bee, if I've taken them through the gamut of my experience, I'll say to them, I think you should pay me 25,000 naira per hour. They're going to scream, whoa, that's like the price of our CEO. I said, well, I'm a CEO. So why would you make me less? 
and everybody's going to keep quiet. But if you don't have that perceived value, personally, if you don't internalize it, how much more those that want your service? That's the same way when selling your product, the perceived value determines how much your customers will be willing to pay for what you are offering. What are you offering? If you don't upskill, you can't offer anything and you remain at the bottom of the pyramid called the salary structure. But if you upskill and you do well, that means you've added value to who you are. You continue to add value. And when you sit and speak about the value you're bringing to the table, people are ready to pay an arm and a leg for it. The more valuable a prospect believes your offer is, the more likely they'll be willing to buy it and the more they'll be willing to pay for it. I've seen so many people run foul of this. Number one, they don't train themselves. If you're listening to me now, very many of you are guilty of this. And thank God for COVID. During COVID, everybody was going online to learn one skill or the other. What have you done with it? Some were just using it to banter away time. Some never had development in their learning. Some have picked them up, learning and development. I have a, a young friend I met at Enactus, Nigeria, a few weeks back when I went to speak to some uh, undergraduates under the Enactus um, uh, canopy at um, Covenant University. There are about 250 of them. This young man, Amechi, is actually um, at the University of uh, Uyo. Um, during my trip to Uyo last week, during the APBN, uh, conference, I reached out to him and he came to meet me there. And, and I said to him, so what are you doing? He said, um, he said, sir, you know, um, by the way, I gave him a copy of my book. He was one of the recipients, you know, um, of, uh, of my book. I just signed my book and gave to him. And he came over to see me at the hotel where we are having the conference. And I said, what are you doing with your time with this acid strike? He said, yeah, you know that I'm into, um, photography and with this, with that. So he has picked up an online course and is trying to get himself into X, Y, Z. And I said, fantastic. I said, move the needle a lot further, stretch yourself and let me know what you need. Then I can support you. What that has done is the guy is stepping into a terrain where he's creating value for himself. And when he's ready to give you a prize, you'll be shocked. I have one of my very favorite mentees who's been with me for years, right from Seven Tribes. His name is Duby. Duby is an architect. And you wouldn't believe this young man was still on campus. He's doing some great stuff now. I'm sure you'll, if you type G-U-B-B-Y on Instagram, you'll see him. He's a mentee of mine. This young man, I think four years ago, when I was sitting in a room with them and tell them about putting value into their lives so that the perceived value be enhanced. Duby is a testimony of this particular work, you know, and I hope he's listening. If he's listening, I'm definitely sure he's going to tweet you. Someone's going to tell him, uh, Duby, Uncle Heidi just used you as an example and he'll come all over me. Because today he's doing some great work with graphics. He's doing some great work with his architecture. Why? because he has added value to himself. And so people are paying a lot more than they would have paid him four years ago. Because I remember at the time when I introduced him to a client, he was his first client, 
It was actually a very close friend of mine and they were going to launch a product. I said, listen, I have a young man who's a graphic designer and he'll do a great job for you. And I pushed him in there. And he came back and said, Uncle Idy, I've never done this before. They're asking me what my price is. I said, yeah, sit down and let me tell you what you would do. You have to look at yourself and say, what is the perceived value? What do you value yourself as? I said, look at Coca-Cola, look at Mercedes, look at McDonald's. There's a value. What is your value as a brand? So when this brand comes to you to make an offer, what do you think that offer should be? The most valuable offers do one or more of the following. Number one, they satisfy one or more of the prospect's core human drives. Number two, they offer an attractive and easy to visualize end result. So when somebody is coming to you with a valuable offer to support you or to tell you, hey, I need this kind of resource, what you need to do is visualize the end result. And the person will, you know, he would actually salivate and say, wow, if I have this guy in my team or this lady, guess what? I'm going to win. That's what a company feels when they want to hire you. But if you are not there, if you don't offer an attractive and easy to visualize end result, forget it. They're going to pay you peanuts. You must also command the highest, what I call the hassle premium, by reducing the end user involvement as possible. You ask me, okay, what is this? Okay, what is this hassle premium? Friends, hassle premium is very simple because hassles come in many forms and they can take different tasks or questions that might either take too much time to complete or something. But people are almost always willing to pay for things that they believe are too much of a pain to take care of themselves. That is what I call the hassle premium. You can charge for it. When somebody says, this is so much work, I can't do it. When he says that to you, instantly when he tells you, What's the value? What are you going to charge me? Take advantage of the hassle premium. I call it HP, not the laptop. It's called hassle premium. This is a business school. And I'm telling you guys, when you're sitting with a prospect and they're giving you the notion that this job is too, it's too much of a hassle, take advantage of it and latch in. Some of you listen to prospects and they give you a brief and they're telling you that you know, I need someone that's going to come help me tidy this space, um, put this all together. That man is telling you that this is all of hassle. And then you want to take the hassle off him, help him to visualize an end result. When you finish and tell him his bill is one million naira, he will pay you 1.2 because you've just allowed him to rid himself of the hassle. But there's a cost and there's a value to that hassle. It's called the hassle premium. But then, you must also ensure that your offer satisfies the prospect's status-seeking tendency by providing desirable social signals that help them look good in the eyes of other people. Do you know what a social signal is? Look around you. There are a lot of uh, people that want to hang with the big boys. They want to bam bam. You want to, you know, hang out with the big boys. It's a social signal. It's status-seeking. That's why you run kitty kitty and you run kata kata. All because of what? You want to put something there. It's a tendency. People need social signals. 
and they give social signals. They're status-seeking. Today, whether it's in different sectors, especially in banking, when you see all those big kahunas in banking come around, they're driving into a space, or you see the oil boys, or you see some of the politicians, are, they're not a good social signal because it's just our money they're using to trade and pass it among themselves. So I don't consider them um, social, you know. But now that we're getting towards elections, you see a lot of status seeking. You see CVs, Harvard this, Harvard that. Take them on. You know, I saw a gentleman that's going in for a particular post who was reeling out Harvard Business School, Connery this one. I say, if this one, if we sit down for the same room, make me talk business, he go keep quiet. All those things are status seeking. They are seeking. They are social signals because they want to become governor. They want to be House of Rep uh, member. They want to be senator. Uh, some will not. They will just tell you, oh, I've been in this for 25 years. My first job, I was secretary to the party. Tater seeking. But are their offers valuable? The answer is no. And so that's why I'm not going to talk about politicians. I'm talking about, you know, corporate cowboys. And I'm talking about, as we are getting into elections, you should ask yourself why politicians shy away from actually sitting down in debates and having frank conversations. But they prefer to go to rallies where they are going to speak to thousands of people and there's no room to ask them questions. Why? They go there to chant. They chant and chant and chant. Chanting is not value. Chanting is just a form of noise making. And you go away with that chant and you keep playing it back in your sleep. And on that day, you walk into the polling booth and you vote for a chant, not for value. That's why we are where we are. That's why the country is where it is. But now that you are sitting within the ambits of understanding value creation, understanding perceived value, understanding hassle premium, these are concepts that probably will be new to you. I'm sure a lot of you don't know about hassle premium. And listening to me now, it's something that is going to click somewhere. And you say, wow, this is leverage. I've taught you about leverage on this program. I've taught you about leverage, how you leverage other people's time, how you leverage other people's money. And at the end of the day, what does it do? It enhances the value you bring to the table. So my word to you, friends, is focus on providing the most significant benefits and the highest status in a way that requires the least amount of end-user effort and frustration, and you'll increase the perceived value of your offer. That offer could be you. That offer could just be the service you provide as a businessman. That offer could be the brand that you represent. That offer could be the employer as the employer. That offer to your employees could also be a taste of a place I'd like to work. Many years ago, I had nothing. You know, I was a little boy. Very many years ago, I remember specifically when my mother was working in Ikeja at the Ministry of Labor and Productivity. And we're driving through Obakran in those days. And then I saw the Guinness factory on Obakran. And the colors outside were very outstanding, both red and black. And the malt that was coming from there, the aroma, you know, my mom was driving a 1200cc Volkswagen bottle. 
the LX286. I remember like yesterday, white. And I was sitting with her there and we're going through a background. And I perceived this aroma. It was amazing. I saw the colors of the company, the walls, the entire building of Guinness, Nigeria. And I said to my mom, little did I know, but I said it. I said, mom, I said, one day I'd like to walk in a place like this. Why? I was just a little boy, but I perceived the aroma of malt, the product coming out of whatever they were brewing. I had no idea. And then I saw the colors of the company. They were very attractive, both red and black. I saw all their cars. The Guinness cars were like, oh my, I never knew that down the road, that in terms of my career, I'll become a Guinness employee. At the age of 24, I joined Guinness as a management trainee. And from that day, my career kicked in. And yours truly, it's been donkey years, but I can still remember. Now, I'm saying that from an extreme point of view for you to see that even some of the things you're doing that you may not notice becomes an attraction, becomes a point of value for some other person. And that person throws a lot of weight into it and then begins to visualize the end result. That was how I visualized my end result as an eight-year-old boy, not knowing that someday I'll end up working at Guinness Nigeria and I'll end up becoming, you know, a brand manager for Satin Brown. I didn't know. I can give you another story and tell you about our offer. I watched um, Coca-Cola 1994. Then I was at Guinness. I was brand manager. I was doing well at Guinness. And then I watched how Coca-Cola activated the Cup of Nations with the Always campaign. And I sat back and I said, mm, as a marketing person, I'd really love to work for a company like this. This brand is awesome. And that was it. Guess what? Three years after, I was brand manager for Coca-Cola. And Coke just invited me for a chat simply because of something I did on the way. Why? It was my scene, the way they launched the Always campaign. And if you remember that campaign, it was loaded. They used the Africa Cup of Nations to launch it. And it was on every media, every medium. And there you had, you know, wherever there's a pool, there's always a flat. And then Coca-Cola. Now, I'm giving free ads to Coke. It's my own way to give back. The company Guinness, the company Coke, they were part of, you know, the foundations that built this building by the grace of God. So whether you like it or not, friends, value creation is something that would outlive you. And it comes when you have an understanding of a perceived value. Just like I said, when we started, it's all about options. Remember, I talked about options, that an option is the ability to take a predefined action for a fixed period of time in exchange for a fee. I then went on to talk to you about a very interesting subject, which you and I love, called capital. And finally, just talk to you about perceived value, because all forms of value are not created equal. Value is in the eye of the beholder. Are you valuable? Are you valuable? A big question. Because whoever is looking at you must see that value. Whatever you are offering, they must see that value. Whatever you are giving, there must be value. It's called the value exchange. Friends, and so 
This is your business school on radio. If you do have questions on the subjects I've treated, I'll be very much happy to share with you and also learn from you. Uh, just send an email to contact at navigatewithid.com. And if you have to um, follow some other uh, channels, yes, on social media, um, across board, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. My handle is very simple. It's at I-D-Y-E-N-A-N-G. I remain yours truly. Um, I look forward to the next edition where we'll sit back and look at another form of value creation. And I want to sit in the space of modularity. And I want you to see how we can create value from modularity. And then we'll go into this subject of bundling and unbundling. Because these are business concepts and principles that you can utilize and build yourself and then enhance the value of what you're bringing to the table. I hope you're finding this business school interesting. Hey, I said something some months back or some weeks back, I beg your pardon, that somewhere in the course of the middle of the year, we're going to have our, our first, not our first, I beg your pardon, we're going to have you know, the live business school conference. And it's going to come from listeners of this program who would come and we can sit in some confines and then talk about some of these concepts practically for a day. And yours truly, with some other colleagues and friends of mine, we'll be there to share our experience and we all learn together. Guess what? We'll become a better of it. So we'll be here by the grace of God, um, same time, same station next week. Don't go away. Remember that it's your business school on radio. And as I sign out, I said, thank you so much and have a wonderful time. God bless. And that was Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds.